What's up? We are back. We are live. What's good, Dan? What up? How you doing, brother? You know, I'm doing. We uh, we just confirmed the. I'm making the FYA flyer right now as we speak. Bob just uh, <clears throat> locked down the last of the shit. So I'm uh, sticking the last little pieces of paper on here and uh, getting ready to record, bro. I can't wait for the breakout set for Nip. Uh, none of you guys have heard Nip. It's pretty crazy. My word. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, what's up, bro? How's your day? Uh, it was all right. Was busy figuring shit out and had to go to Rite Aid and figuring out some fucking nonsense. And uh, just was kind of busy all day. What have you been up to? Just working, bro. Worked all day, came straight home, doing this, going to go hit the gym after this, um, roll around on the ground a little bit, and then uh, come home and uh, watch some TV and go to sleep and do it all again tomorrow. Just want to say, kids today, they don't roll around like they used to. I mean, I'm specifically referring to jujitsu, but yeah, I mean, I guess they they they're <laughs> just going to the gym and like the actual gym gym and just rolling around on the ground at the gym. At the basketball courts. Kids I, say they don't be rolling around no more when they score. <laughs> I would be thrown out in an instant's time, brother. Uh, this is kind of off topic to what oh the pod is about. Hold on, but, uh, hold on. Hey, I'm right in the middle of recording. It's okay, just text me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, just text me. All right, bye. All right. You know, I'm a popular man. I get phone calls. It is what it is. It is what it is. Was it Julia? Yeah, it was Julia. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, let's go behind the curtain here and, and let these MFs know that uh, we did record the last episode yesterday. So pr- presumably, unless you watched anything last night. Uh, Sopranos. How far? Been, we're on the, the fifth season. Skyler's never seen it before. So we're just, I'm taking them through the, the journey. Uh, Tony Blundetto is uh, about to do some shit. Uh oh. Good stuff. Fifth season's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I really liked the show. Okay, so it's been a while since I, I watched it during the pandemic. I was one of those motherfuckers. I know it was like a thing that everybody was all pissed off about, like all oh, trend hoppers jumping on the Sopranos, blah, blah, blah. My parents didn't have HBO when I was a kid, so I never watched it growing up. Same. Um, I watched it for the first time during the pandemic. Um, I remember really liking it besides uh, the season where Tony is laid up in the hospital like the whole time. Uh, The final season. Is that the last season? Yeah. I remember feeling like that one was a little just like, all right, what are what? What are we doing here? This has been going on for a long time and I'm bored. And then um, I remember thinking the ending was awesome and not really understanding why people choose to just like hate on the ending. The ending's great. I thought the ending was dope. It was like, like the ambiguity of it, you, you know? Yeah. Does he get smoked? Does he not get smoked? You there was know. something that David Chase said a couple of years ago, the creator, where uh, he was like, my my version that I would pick out is that Tony lived and then he goes to like 
do something with his family. I can't remember what it, if it was like vacation or something. He dies of a heart attack. And I think that's a he's an unhealthy cool ending. Yeah. Who's your least favorite character on the show? Ralph. Yeah, Ralph's kind of a son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. Ralph gets smoked and it's fucking awesome. Dude, yeah. Ralph is bottom five for me. Um, I I love early season AJ, but I hate new metal AJ. New metal AJ is pretty funny. Uh, Dude, I like when he gets the goatee. He just bitches relentlessly about everything, bro. Yeah. Where do you think he gets it from? I guess that's true. Um. Where do you rank the? I mean, there's some people who think The Sopranos is like the best is like god tier best television show ever. I don't know if I would say it's the best television show ever. I don't even know if I would say it's my favorite HBO show ever. But where do you have a a stance on it as far as where you'd rank it? Yeah, I think it's one of the best TV shows ever made. Interesting. the The thing that you have to take away from it that I don't think you really you realize how much the show accomplished like uh in the first season where him and where tony and meadow go up to i think it's vermont or maine and uh tony kills the rat that was the first time that they ever showed like an on-death kill like a on-screen kill on tv like that in that sort of way that was the first time they ever did that uh it's like one of the first shows that really studies like the Tony Soprano type character where like he's a horrible person. He's doing horrible shit the whole fucking time, but you love him. You can't get enough of him. Is it really? What do you mean by that? That it's the first death they showed on screen like that. Is that true? Yeah. Like the first death in what sense? Uh, Someone being like murdered in front of you because normally it would be a cut. That one he chokes him at to death and you see it happen in front of you. I'm trying to remember. Is that the one where he gets killed in like it's at like a like a motel, right? Uh, it's like a trailer park or some shit like that. I think where he ends up killing the guy, but he's like following him around the motel. Interesting. Yeah, so there's some weird, uh, some weird stuff with that. That's like pretty fascinating and like it has some real like. I think like almost. TV historical moments. So it's it's definitely up there for me. Uh, it's still pretty relevant today. Like a lot of the stuff they the characters like discuss and do and talk about is like shit that is still relevant in 2023. So like 30-ish years later. Did you ever um did you ever watch the Batman animated series, the cartoon? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh there was like a whole thing with that too. It was similar vibes. They wouldn't allow, they like didn't want to show Batman like actually being violent on TV. So like, that's why like anytime he punches someone, it doesn't actually show the frame of like the fist hitting the face. It's just like a bright flash on the screen. And that's like sort of where the whole trope comes from. That's in all like the Batman movies and stuff of like bad guy walking backwards into the shadows. And then you just hear him like screaming and like, you just assume Batman fucking got his ass. Huh. I never I never noticed that. Yeah. If you watch the show, at the very least in the early episodes, I'm not sure if it if it um when they switched from Batman the animated series to 
Batman the new animated adventures or whatever when they like kind of slightly updated the look of it and shit. Um, they may have changed that rule there, but uh, those early episodes, there's a uh, a thing where that you don't you don't actually see him, you don't see his fist or foot or whatever actually physically connect with anyone, which is crazy because they just have mobsters like with Tommy guns and shit. But I mean, whatever. Yeah, there's a lot of like dark shit that happens in the animated series, but Dude. then like Batman, Batman Beyond happens and he's just whooping people's ass. Dude, Batman Beyond. I never watched it as a kid just because I was like kind of confused by it. I was like, this is not Batman. What is this? This is some other guy. I don't know what's happening here. And it like turned me off. Like as a kid, I just couldn't comprehend that. But I kind of wish now that I watched it because everyone's like, oh no, it's like goaded as fuck. Yeah. Batman Beyond is sick. We should do the movie for the pod. Which one? Uh, The Batman Beyond movie. I'd be down. I'd be down to do Mask of the Phantasm too that's a that's cinema right there yeah that is cinema dudes dudes doing batman bro kids say they don't know about mask of the fat phantasm they know about fucking robert pattinson's batman hey man don't be weird that shit's awesome show, show some respect <laughs> brother rank i need you to rank your batmans right now batman uh kevin conroy number one okay respect Dude, he's awesome. Whenever I think of Batman's voice, that's the first, like, thing that pops into my head. Rest in peace. That's the goat for real. Yeah, he's the shit. Um, probably Chris Bale, number two. Okay. I'd probably say Rob Pattinson, number three. Okay. Uh, Val Kilmer. Okay. Batfleck, George Clooney. There's no way you put Batfleck under fucking Val Kilmer, brother. You think Batfleck is better than Val Kilmer? Yes. Okay. Bat. I don't think Ben Affleck's a bad Batman at all. I just think the writing in the movies are bad. That's not his fucking fault. I think if we got like a straight up Ben Affleck Batman movie, it would be higher. But because I'm just going off of what was given to us as the audience it falls short and it could have been dope. I mean, like the, not to be that guy, but the Snyder cut version of Batman was actually pretty dope for the most part. Even that movie is so fucking punishing. Well, you just, uh, sounds like you're underwater right now, brother. What recording wise? Oh, now it looks, now it sounds fine. Oh, my fault. Yeah. Fucking Snyder league cut, uh, you get close to getting a good Batman, and then I don't know. We never got it, so it's hard to it's hard to say, you know. Yeah, but George uh, Clooney's dead last, not because I dislike him. I just think that the movie he was in is a pile of shit. I mean, just not even going off of, uh, not even going off of, um, like the movie itself. I think that uh, I I just think that he's. I love George Clooney. I just don't think he's a good Batman, you know? He's too charismatic. I, mean, I think Adam West is a better Batman than George Clooney. Yeah. I mean, that's more truer to, like, the OG comics oh. than what George Clooney was going for. George Clooney sucks. I mean, he's great, but he sucks as Batman. Um, What would you rank? What, what's your ranking? 
I might put Robert Pattinson as number one. I gotta see more. Yeah, that's kind of he could he could potentially hit number two or I guess one if we're taking Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy, Kevin Conroy is number two easily. I have to kind of credit that to being like Kevin Conroy and Bruce Tim together, like the animator and the voice for like creating that Batman, you know? But yeah. Um that's number two, easily. Uh, but I, I think that I actually love the Robert Pattinson Batman movie so fucking much. And I think that the the Nolan Batman movies with Christian Bale are awesome, and Christian Bale's a great Batman. But I think that that's more of like Batman. There's two sides to Batman. When you read like Batman comics, there's like the superhero like gadgets, like like kicking ass Batman. But that's always secondary to like he's the world's greatest detective. That's the whole point. And I feel like in the Nolan movies, they never really get into him being a detective and like crime solving, you know? And yeah, he's just kind of like chasing you know scarecrow he's, Joker, I, he's, he's basically Bane. iron he's iron man he's like a serious superhero. iron man he's a superhero with a bunch of he's like a kung fu man with a bunch of expensive fucking gadgets that allow him to, to whoop ass which is cool and entertaining but like the main aspect of batman that doesn't really get explored properly in any of those other movies is that he's like a genius fucking like problem solver and detective and and the Batman with Robert Pattinson is the first Batman movie that dives into that. And I think that's, I don't know. I just think it's incredible. I, that movie's so fucking good. I need to rewatch it, but. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I, I really like the exploration of Batman's autism with being able to solve puzzles. Yeah. Which is dope. Cause nobody, that that's like, what are they going to do? Another like they Christopher Nolan type Batman movie again. It's been done already. You know, I'm glad they did something different. Something that is like more true to the character, you know. I mean, you can't you can't top it. No, you cannot. Um, you can't top the Dark Knight. You can just make your own thing. Yeah, I mean, truly. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into this flick that we uh. Let's jump into this flick here that we uh, you know, watched, and I think both love a lot. Let me tell you, this is probably, this is definitely top five for me. It's unreal. This does not include <laughs> the other cuts, but the final cut. We'll Maybe get into the director's cut. All right, well, we're doing Blade Runner. Yep. Uh, right off the top, five stars. Okay, let me ask you this. What cut of the movie did you watch i'll always watch the final cut i've seen the original before the original is fucking confusing and it leaves you kind of feeling baffled uh the theatrical cut that is uh director's cut is like a little bit better you still you get some more like uh i guess more of like the violent scenes and stuff put back into it but then the final cut you get everything you get a lot more depth, more conversations with shit. And the movie's almost two hours long. Yeah, I mean... So, I have been watching this movie for years and years and years. It's one of my favorite movies ever made. And I was hoping that... 
I want to say I I was hoping that I would get to watch the director's cut for this or the final cut rather, which the final cut is what I'm accustomed to watching. I've been watching the final cut for fucking ever. Um, But I couldn't I could have sworn I owned it on Blu-ray and I just couldn't find the copy anywhere, Um, which is stressful because I have OCD. But I so I the only thing that I could do was use the version that was on, watch the version that was on um, Amazon. Like I rented it off Amazon. And the it final was, cut's on there. On, no, bro. What I watched, wh- I looked up the final cut and it wasn't coming up. It was just Blade Runner. And I was just like, okay. And it was the theatrical cut. So I watched that. Um, It's been, I can't remember if I've ever seen that cut, to be honest with you. And so for a long time, I've been like, you know, next time I watch this movie, I'm going to watch this cut and I'm going to see if it makes a difference, if it really makes a difference. You know what I mean? Um, Because I'm so accustomed to watching the, the final cut. And it, it definitely does. It definitely takes something away from the movie, I think, if you watch the the theatrical cut. So I will say, if somehow somebody is listening to this who hasn't seen this movie, which seems unlikely. I feel like given the type of stuff that our audience of watchers enjoys, they've probably seen this flick. But if they haven't, please, 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 I urge you to watch the direct or the final cut or at least the director's cut. Um, But I gave this three and a half stars. And the reason I gave it three and a half stars is because I watched the theatrical cut and I know what I know what the real cut is and I know how good it is. So watching this, even though it was a phenomenal movie, still, I was just like, man, I know what five stars is in this context and or four stars at least. And this is this is not that. You know what I mean? I really hate the the ending of the theatrical cut. Oh, it's I, it fucking it neuters everything that the movie builds up to. Yeah. And it fucking neuters what it, fuck all right so roy betty his whole fucking his whole goal is null and void with the ending of the theatrical cut because it's a quote-unquote happy ending yeah and he has he has such a good complex character motivation and it's crazy that whoever did the theatrical cut with all the voiceovers and everything or the yeah the theatrical cut with all these fucking voiceovers and everything, they just shit all over his his character arc yeah. as a villain. Well, and they they get rid of what made him what makes his whole speech at the end of the movie so pivotal. Yeah. So I think I mean I I I've always been under the impression I could be wrong about this, but this is sort of always the impression that I've been under from what I've heard from people who are fanatical about this movie and um, research that I've done that the, the crux of this cut of the movie is that the movie was finished. It doesn't have the voiceover. It has the dark and kind of ambiguous ending. They uh, Ridley Scott sends it to the production company and they're like, this is going to go over theaters head, like theater audiences heads. You have to fucking dumb it down. And he didn't want to do it and Harrison Ford didn't want to do it, but they kind of like leaned on him too. And that's why like there's parts in the, um, 
in the voiceover narration where Harrison Ford just sounds like he's so not into it. You know what I mean? Like he sounds like he's almost making fun of it. Like being like, it sounds like he's being sarcastic. And yeah, the narration's fucking stupid. That's yeah, why it's it, gone in the final cut. Yeah, it sucks. And it really does take a bit away from the movie. But um, with all that said, I, I do think, so this was, I watched it with Julia last night and she's never seen it before. And uh, I mean, she still loved the movie regardless. So I think there's something to be said that maybe if you've never seen the movie before and you're seeing this cut, it can still seem like it can still be an amazing movie because you don't have it to compare to the better version. You know what I mean? I would just say watch the final cut because you get everything. You lose the stupid fucking narration. Uh, You get the bonus of like the there's like a unicorn dream that happens about halfway through the movie. And it, it does have like actual significance to the plot. It's not just like something that's like thrown in there. We'll, we'll get to it because uh, I watched this movie for the first time with like a more analytical eye rather than just taking it for like being like, man, this movie's fucking awesome. And uh, really walked away appreciating it, appreciating it even more than I initially have in my entire life. I mean, <laughs> It's, it's just so fucking good, man. And we Perfect. we talk about this, but it's like, it is the ultimate vibes movie, dude. Like, I mean, oh man, think about the aesthetic, first of all. I want you to, I want you to tell me if you think there's ever been, this might be kind of a bold statement, but outside of like, Okay, so I'm going to say Star Wars is is probably Star Wars and 2001: A Space Odyssey are probably the two most influential sci-fi movies ever made, right? Like not counting stuff like Metropolis and like silent film era shit, you know what I mean? Can we agree on that? The two most influential science fiction movies ever made are 2001 and Star Wars probably. This is a really close third and I think that it's the most influential science fiction movie ever made strictly from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. I, I could, I could agree with that. I, I mean the like cyberpunk, uh, I guess like aesthetic is like, it's perfected here. Dude. I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's invented here, dude. They, they literally invented cyberpunk. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I I don't know how they, they like the book. If you've never read the book, it's called "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," which Blade Runner is based on. It's uh, you know, like you get similar characters, and the plot is generally close to what Blade Runner is, but there's some differences in it. Um, but it's crazy how they're able to take just what is given to you in the book and then expand upon it in this incredible way. Yeah. It's, did you, have you read, you've read the book? Yeah, I have it. So the book is good. It, I will straight up say it is so different than the movie. Like it pretty much completely different. I don't think it's that different. The the concepts are there. The same general concepts are there. 
thematically it is the same for sure. The themes are the same, but so much of like the DNA of like the plot is really, really different. Yeah. I mean, it is to an extent, but Blade Runner, I think focuses way more on like Deckard as a character and what he's like, what he's doing and what, what the replicants on earth are up to. Whereas like, I don't know, the book is kind of just more of a overall, like what if androids had emotion type of thing? Yeah. It's, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more of just like a, uh, it's a little bit loftier and a little bit more philosophical, which is crazy. Cause this movie is so fucking dense, like philosophically. There's so much going on thematically here. Um, but the the book is a little bit more of like a philosophical musing and less of like a narrative story, I feel like. I mean, it's still there is still a narrative story, but it, there's more it, it is more philosophy than than narration. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that and agree with that. Um what do you uh let's 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 jump into this because this is like the biggest thing I feel like about this movie. So for for people who are unaware, the 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 premise of the movie is basically there are these robots called replicants that are made by a corporation for slave labor. Um, the robots kind of grow their own consciousness and revolt, and the technology that makes the robots become so good that they're totally indistinguishable from humans at this point. Um. And after they revolt, uh, the police basically generates an arm of a branch of the police that's dedicated to eliminating, killing, retiring these fucking robots. So it's Harrison Ford plays Rick Deckard, who's a guy who's a cop who kills these androids, basically. Um, But there's this huge kind of ambiguous question in the movie about whether he is actually a robot or not. And it's like gone as far as to like, I know that there's like a lot more clarification with the, with the second blade with blade runner 2049, but when the movie came out and you watch a standalone, it's really hard to tell. And it's super debated. And I know at one point for a really long time, Ridley Scott said, Harrison Ford, Ridley Scott said Harrison Ford's character Deckard was not a replicant or was a replicant. And Harrison Ford said that, Deckard was not a replicant, right? It, one of them thought one and the other one thought the other. Um, what what do you, do you, did you take away that he was a robot or not? So we're not going to go into 2049 because we will get there, but uh, I don't think he is. I just, I, this is me going off of the book because in the book, Deckard's character, the character that is essentially Deckard, uh, is human. So I'm going off of that. I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity. Like they ask if uh, Rachel asks Deckard, if he's ever done the, the Voight cop tests. And he, he says, he doesn't even answer her. So you don't know if he's ever done one. That's the test for uh, determining whether someone's a replicant or not. Yeah. I should have clarified that. Cause there's, there might be people that haven't seen this or don't know about that. So Harrison Ford has never taken like the replicant test. 
Uh, he never really shows emotion throughout the movie, too. Mm-hmm. He never he never really elicits any emotional responses to anything. Yeah, there's there's a scene where whenever they do the test, there's like a weird hue to a replicant's eye where it almost gets yellow around like the the cornea. Yeah, you see and, their, uh, their you see their their lens. And there's a brief second where it looks like Deckard may be a replicant because you can kind of see that, but you could also chalk it up to it's like a lens flare and they kind of just kept that effect in. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of like misleading stuff that they that Ridley Scott definitely threw at people to I think stoke the flames, but I, I don't think he's a replicant, at least as far as the original Blade Runner goes. Okay. What do you think? Um, you know, it sounds funny, but I really think that it depends on which I think it depends on which cut of the movie you watch. Because the big okay. The really big thing for me, the big things in favor of him being a replicant are her, one, there's three major ones. And the biggest one of all is not in the theatrical cut. It's only in the final cut, um, which is the, the the two big ones that appear in, in all the cuts are one, Rachel kind of asking him, have you ever taken that test yourself? And him just kind of being like, uh... Um, and then two, when uh, Edward James Olmos's character, um, forget his name. Gaff. Gaff, yeah. When when Gaff, at the very end, looks at him and says, w- when they pull up right after Roy Beatty dies, and he pull and uh, Gaff walks up and he says, "You've done a man's job," and the implication there, you know, and for a lot of people who are on the he is a replicant uh, side, is that there he means that in a literal sense, like you've done the job of a human and you're not one like congratulations good for you um the big one though is that in the final cut they show the scenes of him having dreams like recurring dreams about a unicorn and edward james olmos's character does the origami animals and he leaves an origami unicorn for him at the end which is indicating you know hey you're a replicant with memories that have been implanted and dreams that have been implanted. And, and I know about them in the same way that um, Tyrell corporation and you knew about the ones that were implanted in Rachel. Um, But when you take that scene out, it completely eliminates, And that's the biggest one, like I said, and it happens right at the end. So it's very indicative of like, you know, they're giving you that big breadcrumb at the very end of the movie, but they, they, they completely took that out of the, fucking theatrical cut i mean that's such a fucking huge part of it too um i don't i also don't think he's a replicant too because he gets his ass kicked throughout the whole movie and uh it's seen that replicants have like nearly superhuman strength and deckard does not well they they do specifically say that the replicants that have grown to have like near or like surpass regular human strength are the nexus six models like the newest ones and i do kind of think the implication if you know i do think the implication if he is a replicant is that he's an older model replicant okay but again that could be 
I, I, I understand that is a, a very valid argument. Um, I do think that one argument in favor of him not being a replicant, uh, in favor of him being a human is that it contributes to if he is a human and he or if he's a replicant, and he's not a human. It does kind of take away this whole thematic element where we're kind of looking at artificial intelligence and and the lives of these replicants who are capable of generating and and developing emotion, emotional responses and, you know, personalities. There's this kind of recurring theme throughout the movie where, like you said, he doesn't really show much emotion, but we see Roy get super emotional multiple times throughout the movie, right? So it's this really interesting dichotomy of like, he's the human and he's the robot, but this dude is fucking a cold, emotionless bastard. And this dude has a lot of feelings one way or the other about things and gets emotional. He cries, he smiles, he laughs, he feels anger. And we're seeing this out of the robot and not the human. And it's this interesting, you know, kind of seeing the roles reversed as a sort of way of examining, well, what really makes humans any more human than these robots? And if record or if Deckard is a replicant, then it kind of eliminates that entire theme. Yeah. I mean, the, the symbolism of the unicorn is freedom essentially. Yeah. And I think the way I, I look at it when he's having these dreams of freedom as a human is he just wants to be free from what Los Angeles is. And he wants to be free from being a blade runner. And he just, he wants his own freedom. And I think he finds that with Rachel. Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie, the movie movie does start with him being like, I quit, you know, he's fucking sick of killing. He's sick of fucking chasing down fucking semi-living beings and he quits and then he gets kind of dragged back into it so i could definitely see that that he's like kind of you know pining for his own freedom from like this fucked up life that that's just like a i mean it's like i guess kind of a small thing but that the with the unicorn i mean that's such a small piece of the movie overall yeah i i i is it though i do think is it really? It that, isn't. It's the key. It's really the key to the whole thing, if you think about it. Yeah, I. I mean, Rachel wants her freedom. Roy wants his freedom to be able to extend his life, for not just him, but for other replicants. His. We gotta talk about Roy. He is the way he is written is such a complex character because I don't view him as a villain. He does evil shit in the movie, but. I don't think he's a villain for wanting to have a life and wanting to extend his life further and wanting to save his fellow replicants from being condemned for no other reason than because they're on earth. Well, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a martyr. He's literally a martyr. And like that kind of, that theme is also explored with a lot of things about him. Like, you know, at one point Tyrell refers to him as the prodigal son when he's trying to kind of like stimulate himself so he doesn't die, he sticks the nail through his hand. When he finally does die at the end, the dove comes flying out. There's a whole case to be made about him being a Christ figure and being a martyr, you know? Oh, 100%. I mean, the <laughs> the nail through the hand is definitely like a little heavy handed. Yeah. But for, I, I didn't really like think about this, but for a long time, I was like, I always thought that the nail through the hand was like some symbolic type of thing, which it is. 
but I didn't realize I, I looked it up today and I was like, I wonder what the deal with this is. And it's literally to for him to stop necrosis. So for him to stop decaying. Yeah. Which is I, pretty I, cool. I, That's a really cool thing. I didn't see that. I, I I mean it makes sense. I just kind of saw it and thought he was like kind of trying to like, you know, he was like failing and i thought he was kind of like trying to stimulate himself into like damn if i can like you know spike my adrenaline with some pain i can give myself like a couple more minutes type thing but i mean regardless he clearly does it for one reason or another to uh you know is to fucking joust himself back awake to fuck up harrison ford shit dude it's kind of crazy like harrison ford is quote unquote the good guy and Roy is quote unquote the bad guy, even though, you know, like you said, I, I see Roy as a, a more morally positive character than Harrison Ford is in this movie. But this is really a movie where it's just like the hero is not some badass. Like the hero has zero fucking chance against Roy is horrifying and absolutely just like murking Harrison Ford. Yeah, I mean, he fucking the way he kills Tyrell is crazy. Dude, so that movie had such crazy, 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 um, like, really intense, fucking, like, visceral, just, like, vibes to it. And I think it's because this isn't necessarily an action. Like, most of the movie is just, I keep saying it's the ultimate vibes movie, but it really is just, like, there's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of violence, like, throughout the movie. So when it does happen, it's just way more powerful, you know? Yeah, it's a futuristic noir. Yeah, it's amazing. Maybe the first one. I mean, they did. I I do feel like they invented this whole, like, aesthetic. Like, you ask any sci-fi fan, like, what do you think of, like, this, like, sort of Neo-Tokyo, like, cyberpunk, like, neon noir vibe. And it's just, like, everything that you're thinking of came from Blade Runner, you know? The advertising is crazy in the movie. Um, the buildings all look insane. The spacecrafts, the vehicles, like... Everything, the the weapons, the yeah. buildings that they're in, like, er everything is, like... I don't... Just... It all... When you see it, it looks right. And this is the movie that did it first, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, man. It's, uh, I do feel like there is, so there's something to be said too for the fact that this is one of those movies that, I'm trying to figure out how to word this tactfully. There should never have been a sequel made to this. And somehow, in defiance of, all fucking odds. The sequel is like incredible. We'll get into that later. Um, because we are gonna spoiler alert, we are doing, I think is it the next episode we're we're doing? We're gonna do 2049. Yeah, we're we're doing them back to back. I mean the way that both movies bleed into each other is incredible. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but this is such a perfect movie in terms of aesthetic and like vibes and super 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 thematically dense like i said like there's so much to unpack here and this is a movie that i've been watching for years and years and years it's been one of my favorites but i i like 
I still, every time I watch it, notice something new, see something that I feel like has been flying over my head the other 50 times I've seen this movie since I've been a kid. It's it's just crazy, dude. It's so, you truly, truly, truly cannot fully grasp this movie with one or two or honestly even like five or ten viewings. Like it really demands like repeated watchings. And I feel like the fact that it's so visually stimulating kind of makes that accessible. You know what I mean? It, it makes it not feel like a you're a slog to watch this movie for the fucking 25th time. I could watch this movie over and over and over and over and over again. And, and there's something to be said for the fact that that's really impressive, especially considering it's a pretty, um, I don't want to say slow pace because it's not boring, but it's not like he's running, gunning, fucking blowing shit up. Like it's not that type of movie. You know what I mean? It's not a high octane movie. It's literally a noir. I mean, he he's tracking down the replicants on Earth and trying to, quote unquote, retire them. And uh, he you're just following Deckard the whole time. And I think upon the initial watch, you don't really know, like. You don't know anything, you don't understand, like the lore within the movie and what's going on. And I think each each watch it gets for me, like you said, it gets better and better. An example of something that I just never picked up on before. And I don't know why this time is the one where I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um Zora has the snake, one of the replicants, and yeah. she's in the strip club. And there's a part where Deckard goes to like pet the snake and like it moves and like it's it's a real snake that's moving and he goes oh is this a real snake and she says no it's synthetic and before this he's at a bar trying to track down zora and one of the patrons in the bar is like oh yeah there's synthetic snakes out there and the synthetic snake scale came from the strip club so that was just something that i never really like thought about or like really picked up on before. I don't know how I just never thought of that before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's dope. I will say there are a couple themes in the book. There's two themes in the book that they kind of glaze over in the movie that they don't really explore deeply that are really deeply explored in the book. One of them is the kind of, they really use the animals being synthetic as well. And, and that's kind of used for all sorts of things. It's used kind of to compare like the way that synthetic and real animals are like treated and coveted and looked at as like a metaphor for the way that humans as opposed to replicants are kind of viewed. But it also kind of they use it as like a class thing, um, you know, owning a real animal because it's so rare on Earth is like a crazy sign of like class and wealth. Um, and like a lot of people will have fake animals and try to like pass them off to their neighbors as real animals, like, cause they don't want the shame of being like, oh, we're, we're poor. We can't afford a real animal. So like, we don't want our neighbors to know that our animal is, our pet is synthetic. We want them to think highly of us, but that theme is pretty interesting. So I'm glad that they kind of like, even though they didn't really get into the whole like animals thing, they kind of had like at least a reference to it sort of, you know, with the snake. Um, Yeah. Oh, the well, other there's team. other there's another part too in the beginning where Leon, one of the replicants, is getting interviewed, and the interviewer asks him about a tortoise, 
and he doesn't know what a tortoise is. Yeah. So, so I think you kind of get little bits of that. I, the book does explore more of it. Yeah, definitely. And the book also explores more of like the the thing that they only very briefly touch on it in this movie, which is that Earth at this point is like so fucking like decrepit and like fucked up from like pollution and like because of corporations that most people have moved off planet. And the only people who are still on the planet are people who are like too poor to move or they like don't get medical clearance or um, have some other reason that the government denies their application to move off world. So like being stuck on earth is like a very bleak fucked up situation and it's very like helpless. And that's like another thing that Decker dreams of like freedom of um, they, they kind of get into that when uh, JF Sebastian tells Pris and Roy that he is uh, sick. They're like, Oh, is that why you didn't go off planet? And he's like, yeah, I'm not me- I wasn't medically cleared. And they kind of have like in the background, they'll have like the blimps with the signs that are like move off world, clean air, open spaces, like blah, blah, blah. But other than that, they don't really get into that. Um, and that's kind of another reason I hate this ending that's tacked on here because it shows them kind of driving through this like beautiful, like happily driving through this like beautiful, looks like the Canadian woods type wilderness that doesn't exist on earth. In, it shouldn't exist on Earth, according to the the book. Um, you know, uh, I think twenty forty nine does a good job of showing how fucked the corporations made the world. Yeah, but that that just that's for obviously the twenty forty nine episode. But in comparison to like what they're able to accomplish with this movie, which is solely focused in Los Angeles, yeah. And what is happening within that the city? Uh, sure. I mean, the whole world's fucked up from corporations. You hear it like there's like background chatter you pick up on where like news are talk the newscasters are talking about it or people are talking about how fucked up it is. There's a lot of little things that like just add up and enhance this movie even more than like you think it would. Yeah, I mean. It's God, dude. This is, it's just, it's just so unreal, man. It's, it's just, there's just so much. God, dude. It's perfect. Talk about this movie. So let's, let's, cause we're already fucking like going to go over longer than I, I want to just cause there's so much to unpack with this movie. But what, what, what do you think you, you brought up, that there's like we talked about the fact there's like a lot of theories like fan really cool fan theories around this movie and there was one that you found that you thought was really cool right do you want to talk about that one yeah so i had never thought of this at all anytime i've ever watched this movie i had always assumed that gaff was just like a detective that got injured and there's a theory that gaff is the top blade runner and he made essentially made Deckard his replicant to be his puppet and go about and do the shit that he can no longer do. Yeah, and Which then hunting imprinted. replicants. He's imprinted with with Gaff's memories and personality. And I I had never thought about that because I don't know what the reason is for this, but Gaff is kind of just like more of a background character, but he does have a lot of significance. 
and he never he he's really only in the movie for like the beginning and the end when you really think about it yeah and he's like this shadowy figure so it almost makes sense that the theory could be pretty plausible and uh i i saw it on on reddit and the guy gave like a list of things to like support the theory and a lot of the comments were people being like oh my god that makes so much sense and i had the same kind of reaction it really does make so much sense it's kind of insane man it's so fucking cool man it's such a cool theory i i never really thought about it and i was like oh that rocks dude it really again it makes you fucking think because the movie is so ambiguous with what is happening they reference that i think there's six replicants so you have you have roy you have rachel you have pris leon and zora but there's a sequel for blade runner not 2049 but a book called blade runner 2 uh edge of human and there's this really strange bit that I don't think makes sense mm-hmm. at all, but uh, apparently Pris is not a replica or a replicant. She is just literally insane. That's dumb. They specifically say that she's a replicant. Yeah. That's... I mean, the way she moves and shit, too, when she's fighting Deckard, like... I don't think a normal human could pull that off. Yeah, that's that is foolishness. I I do not subscribe to that. I don't I don't believe that either because it's just like retroactively going back and rewriting shit to suit your plot line. Yeah, that's moronic. And uh so they if you want to subscribe to the notion that she is not a replicant, then you could easily say that Deckard is the 6th. Yeah. Well, I do not subscribe to that notion because that's idiotic and specifically said in the movie that that's not the case. So, Yeah, exactly. I think Deckard's human. Pris is 100% a replicant. I'm not – I am not completely sold on Deckard being human. I'm kind of undecided on it. And I do think it depends on what cut you watch, which is annoying, but whatever. Um, You uh, – do you ever look into – the documentary there's a documentary forget what it's called but there's a documentary about the making of this movie it's like three hours long i've never seen it have you on uh what's it called dangerous days is what it's called uh i've seen parts of it it's really fucking cool um i haven't seen the whole thing because it is long as shit three and a half hours um but it's fucking sick from what i've seen like it's it's fucking dope um it really gives a lot of background about the movie and it's it's awesome i would i'd probably enjoy it i'm not like a huge behind the scenes movie documenter type fella yeah but i think for like certain instances it could really like capture my interest in I think for for Blade Runner, that is something that would be fascinating to me. Did you yeah. ever watch the the anime that came out a couple of years ago? I have not. No, was it good? No, I I forgot it came out because I feel like it got very little hype. You you're, and, it's not good, or you never saw it? 
No, I never saw it, but I feel like it never really got pushed at all. So I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to like, this is a thing that I don't, I don't want any more Blade Runner because I think this is so perfect and should be untouched and left alone and could never be replicated or topped. But then somehow they did 2049, which we'll get into next episode. But yeah, I mean, I, I've always been hesitant to check out other Blade Runner media, to be honest with you. And there's, there's a there's comics a game coming out. The game does look cool. The game does look pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. But the comics and everything, I've always been a little bit kind of, I've always been a little hesitant. I think as far as Blade Runner goes, just solely speaking on this movie, it's pretty self-contained. Yeah. Because when you, you really break down like what is happening, like anybody could be hunting down replicants and this movie just kind of follows Deckard and what he is doing. Uh huh. And when you really like, obviously 2049 expands on things a lot further, but for this movie and solely this movie, it's a pretty self-contained story with like, I mean, Roy wasn't going to get the answer to extend life. So he was going to die regardless of if it was Deckard hunting him down or not. Yeah. And the replicants were going to die because they only have a four year life cycle. Yeah. So you talked about, you talked about Roy dying in his speech at the end being kind of useless. If Harrison Ford lives this kind of, you know, happy life, like happily ever after situation with Rachel what did what did you what did you get out of Roy's speech? Like, what was your interpretation of it? The first line of the speech, I I put in my notes because it's like so incredible. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, mm-hmm. and when you you actually break it down into what is given to you in the context of the movies, he's often outer space seeing fucking people dying and killing each other and like replicants fighting humans and all this other shit. So to like the average citizen on earth, you know, you haven't seen the horrors that man can do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's crazy how much you get just out of the, um, the scrawl of the kind of prologue text at the beginning. You know what I mean? It puts yeah. so much context and adds so much to everything, which is, it's fucking awesome. And you get all that just from that, really. You get it from that. And I think when you have a character actively speaking about it, it adds even more to it. When you have someone that's on the front line seeing what's happening, and that's why Roy is doing what he's doing, it adds so much more depth to his character. Yeah. I mean, the speech in general is like maybe the most famous part of this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite scene. I know we we're we always do what's your favorite scene. That that is my favorite scene in the movie. I think the the delivery of the line by Rutger Hauer is incredible. Yeah. A man that is moments away from his inevitable demise speaking on how you know, after he dies everything he's done is all for nothing. His his existence will wash away just like the rain. And people will go on and live their lives. Yeah. It's very um, like when you break it down, it's it's sad. It's it it's this 
you know, this being that never wanted to be created, realizing the how how fragile life is. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but it's sad in a beautiful way. And that's something that, like, we didn't really talk about the soundtrack at all. Incredible. But the soundtrack is so beautiful, dude. And, like, this whole movie in general, that's one thing that Julia said. She was like, wow, this movie is, like, really beautiful in, in a sad way. And it's not sad in a depressing way. It's it's just this beautiful sad, you know what I mean? And I feel like there's a lot to be said about the fact that when you look at this movie from an outside perspective, you're you're gonna expect it to be an action sci-fi. I know that's like what Julia was expecting based on just the premise and the poster, like Harrison Ford with the gun, and it's all like fast looking and like but this is just a beautiful drama. It's it's really and it's sad, but not in like a like you even with without the happy ending, with the vague ending, like the good ending, you don't leave this movie being like there's some sad movies that you leave being like, well, I want to fucking blow my brains out because that was so depressing. This isn't like depressing sad. It's like beautiful sad, you know? I think something that is really incredible about this in regards to like the beauty of it is whenever Deckard is in the city, it feels very oppressive and dark. And when, you know, he gets like the one-on-one moments with characters and like, whether he's at like Tyrell's headquarters, if he's in his, his own apartment, the final confrontation with Roy, there's like more beauty to that than there is, with him just like wandering the city and doing his own stuff. I think that's something pretty interesting. Like yeah. there's more color where he's in someone's apartment or at the headquarters or in his own apartment or outside in the rain with Roy than there is when he's in the city. Yeah, it's uh there's just a lot. There's just like I really wish we we could have had done like a three hour episode on this to be honest with you because there's just we're like hitting the end of time and i feel like we barely scratched the surface on this movie you know there's so much to talk about thematically and (sighs) what the character motivations are and the story overall because we didn't really even touch on like that you that only like there's only like three action scenes really in the movie yeah and you think you like you said, you look at the cover of the movie and it's fucking Harrison Ford holding a gun. Rachel's below him smoking a cig. Like you think he's going to be like, I don't know, like fucking lethal weapon or some shit. But instead you get this very reserved, essentially broken character. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Where do you rank this? Do you think this is the best Ridley Scott movie? Or do you, I'm assuming you're going to say you think Alien is. Honestly, the director's cut. Alien is, man. You do. I mean, for me, the the final cut and the director's cut of this are are right there with Alien, man. I could pick one over the other depending on the day, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair. Ridley Scott is such a, a bizarre individual with his filmography. Uh, he's had some like real good and like 
also real crap movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, he goes a couple years with releasing like whatever. And then you get a movie like The Martian where you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You still got it. And then like Napoleon's coming out this year and that looks really fucking good. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's just a guy who, uh, if he has the right project, it's gonna be phenomenal. You know? Oh, absolutely. I and Blade Runner is. I think this is a perfect movie, and it's so crazy that this fucking came out in 1982. Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy. Harrison Ford is off his high with fucking Star Wars, and he still agrees to do this movie. Yeah. Shit invent it, he invented cyberpunk as like an aesthetic and like a subgenre, you know? He literally invented it. It's fucking crazy. So your favorite scene is the speech with Roy. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that. I think that scene is so significant in to not just the movie, but like to media in general. Because I feel like there's a lot of other pieces of media that have tried to emulate kind of like the same type of speech, the locale, the themes, you know, like everything. And I, this movie was uh, the beginning of so many things. And normally like a, a movie like this has such a, I don't know, like mo- movies that are trendsetters for the most part, I feel like kind of like, have some some faults to it Mm -hmm. and then movies can like expand on them and make it better but i don't think outside of 2049 because we'll get there i don't think there's any other movie that has been able to capture the cyberpunk aesthetic and the themes that this movie discusses as well as this movie yeah no nothing ever comes close and that's that's pretty crazy because this movie is what at this point uh 41 years old yeah it's like a rare it's like a rare thing where like the first is not always the best but in this case it certainly is i don't know i love it it's unreal man i if i had there's so many favorite scenes but i think if i had to pick one i love when roy is like beating the fucking shit out of Deckard. He's like breaking his fingers and like taunting him. And Deckard thinks he's like safe in the bathroom for a second. And then Roy (laughs) puts his head through the wall. (laughs) Yeah, it rocks. I think, I think that that whole sequence is probably my favorite part of the movie because it's like maybe the one time where you're like, Oh, Deckard is outmatched entirely. Because every other replicant besides Leon is kind of like they don't have the upper hand on him. Like Priz and Zora don't have the upper hand on him at all. But Leon kind of like comes in by surprise and he gets taken out by Rachel. So that's pretty ironic, I guess. But with, with Roy and that whole sequence, you see Deckard get his shit knocked around. And Roy could have easily killed him at any moment. But he doesn't. Yeah. It's fucking dope. Yeah, this is a fucking five-star film, man. 
if you if you haven't seen this, just fucking just watch it, and then watch it again, and then watch it one more time, and then you'll be like, oh yeah, this is a perfect movie. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like. I mean, there's nothing else to say. That's that's it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Keep watching it. And I, it's not even to say this is one of those movies where it's like, well, you got to watch. It's not an acquired taste. The first time you watch it, you'll be like, wow, I understand just enough about that to love it. And I also understand just enough about that to know how much I don't understand. And I need to absorb it more so I can understand it, you know? Yeah. But it's. It really rewards you upon rewatching it. Um, yeah. So uh, that about wraps it up. Next week, we're gonna hit you with uh, the the sequel, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Fucking, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll wait and we'll get into it then. But uh, you have anything to say about uh, any last words about Blade Runner? Uh, this is probably my favorite Harrison Ford movie. Yeah, that's fair. I think he's a he plays a very interesting role in this coming off the charismatic Han Solo and here you get a quiet reserved defeated person. That's all I got. <laughs> I I feel like I went off the deep end throughout most of this episode so you just watch it man. Yeah. All right, well, um that about wraps it up. Thanks again. Uh like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, all that good Send stuff. Send us an email. Emails, whatever. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Peace. See you later.